Thanks to Grammarly for supporting Industry Focus. Grammarly is a communication tool that helps people improve their writing to be mistake-free, clear, and effective. Start writing confidently by going to Grammarly.com slash full to get 20% off a Grammarly premium account today. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every single day. Today is Wednesday, October the 9th. We're talking healthcare. I'm your host, Shannon Jones, and I am joined via Skype by healthcare guru Todd Campbell. Todd, how's it going over there? It's going really well. I started putting some real good thought into my Halloween costume for uh, this year. Have you, have you put any thought into what, what you'll be wearing? I have been strategically planning with my nine-year-old daughter what exactly we're going to do. I don't think we will go all out quite like you, Todd, because the Campbell household (laughs) takes it to a whole nother level. Yes, we have a lot of fun with it. I mean, it's only once a year. I think I might might be a little tame this year. I don't know. I've got some things. I've got some ideas. Oh, don't hold back, Todd. Well, I hope, I sincerely hope that we will have a show where you actually wear your get up. Uh, So at least our YouTube viewers out there can see it. If you didn't know, we do post these podcasts onto YouTube. So go to the Motley Fool YouTube channel to check them all out. But hopefully we'll get a sneak peek, Todd. (laughs) Maybe. Just maybe. maybe. All right. I'm going to keep us in suspense here. But let's talk about today's show. Um, Today's show is all about beaten down biotechs. Todd, there's quite a few in the market today. I think biotech sentiment right now is probably near an all-time low. Um, But today's show, we're actually going to be diving into three beaten down biotechs and telling you which one we think is actually a good buy right now. Uh, So with that, Todd, let's dive into the first one. Shannon, these could be, say, scary stocks. There you go. (laughs) Look, you're taking all the mojo away from our Halloween show. Stop it, Todd. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's right. That's right. So yeah, I mean, we're going to be talking about today three really beat up stocks. And these stocks, the the declines, I'll let Shin tee that up. The declines have just been absolutely... uh, if you're an investor in these stocks, it's been extremely, extremely painful. I think the first one we're probably going to be talking about is Puma Biotech, which is uh, already got a drug on the market and everything. Yet, Shannon, that stock has absolutely been pummeled. Oh, my goodness. Pummeled is an understatement. Uh, Puma was actually once a darling of biotech, got so much praise a few years ago. At one point, the stock actually hit $270 a share. That was back in 2014. That stock now is down to $7 and some change, Todd. Ooh, um, and ooh. like you said, this is a company actually has a drug on the market, so it's not like it was an extremely speculative play. Um, but their drug, their their bread and butter, Neuralinks is a drug once thought to be well on its way to blockbuster status for treating patients who have had and been treated for a certain type of breast cancer. Unfortunately, I think for Puma Biotechnology, this is really a classic case of, yes, you passed all of the regulatory hoops, you got approval, but the drug and really the stock have gotten walloped post-approval. We've even seen some steep drops just this week, Todd. What is going on with Puma? Yeah, even pre-approval, because, okay, so if you go back in time, this was a, there was a lot of excitement, obviously, about this company. It's one of the reasons that it ended up trading up so high. And one reason for the excitement is that the company's leader, Alan Auerbach, had been there and done that. He had actually been part of the, uh, owned the company or been the, led the company who developed Zytiga, a 
very widely used multi-billion dollar prostate cancer drug. He sold that company to J&J before starting Puma Biotech. So a lot of people were hoping for a similar outcome, if you will. And the fact that Neuralink's treats what is you know, just a, a, a massive, addresses a massive patient population. I mean, breast cancer is diagnosed in over a quarter of a million uh, Americans alone every year, and I believe over 40,000 people sadly pass away from it. And of those, about 15% have the genetic makeup, HER2 positive, that Neuralink's theoretically could address. And the whole concept here originally was, okay, let's treat patients with Neuralink's um, to help prevent this disease from coming back. And that is indeed what they eventually, back in 2017, won the FDA approval for Neuralink's use in. However, it was a very, very uh, roller coastery ride uh, when it came to the clinical trial results. And that was because of some very significant safety concerns, namely um, uh, severe stage diarrhea that was incredibly common, unfortunately, within the, the people who were receiving this drug, which you know, again, by design, was to, you know, delay the recurrence or, prevent, or you know, help prevent the recurrence. So these people had already been treated. They had already been, you know, uh, say, quote unquote, cured, you know, but a lot of these people relapsed. So, you know, the idea was, okay, take this drug and help keep it from coming back. Problem is, within 30 days, a ton of people were discontinuing treatment because of these, these cases of diarrhea. Yeah, so there's a, a I think a combination of things that have really come together in this kind of perfect storm uh, to make Neuralink just a big question mark. Um, even in terms of survival benefit, we really didn't see a substantial change from placebo. I think it was after two years, 94% of patients that were treated didn't experience cancer reoccurrence or death compared with about 92% of patients treated with placebo. So all in all, relatively small in the grand scheme of things. You talked about the side effects, severe diarrhea in most patients. Um, and they're taking this for about 12 months after they've had their initial treatment. And so a lot of the patients that we've seen on therapy when it was approved back in 2017 have now come off. Um, mentioned just how bad the diarrhea is. It is grade three, which is pretty high. Over 90% of patients did experience diarrhea. But it's not just that. It's also the cost. This drug cost about $10,000 a month. So you're looking at $120,000 a year. Tied together, survival benefit, just barely beating out placebo, plus the cost, plus diarrhea. I think it's just a perfect storm of things that are making this such a commercial, I don't want to call it a flop because they do have some, some opportunities ahead, but such just a big headache for this company right now. Right. And the biggest, you, biggest issue has been patient churn. I mean, you just, you talked about obviously you take it for a year and then you stop taking, but you've also have, I think that. Once they started introducing prophylaxis to try and control the diarrhea early on, that did help a little bit in the discontinuations, but they still had a discontinuation rate that I believe was north of 40%, uh, and even with prophylaxis. Now, they have done some trials on a new, um, I guess, regimen to try and control the diarrhea, and that seems to have cut discontinuations in half. And that was just added to the label very recently. So as doctors get more educated about this new regimen, perhaps, perhaps that churn decreases and they can start to uh, build a little bit of sales momentum. And just to give some context to listeners, revenue in the second quarter was about $54 million. So, you know, $200 million run rate, that's pretty respectable. 
uh, and that was up 6%, which really is not very exciting year over year. But again, perhaps, perhaps the new regimen helps to kickstart sales. And then they've also um, got a supplemental new drug application that's been filed and accepted by the FDA that could um, allow for the use earlier in treatment as part of a combination therapy. And there's a decision that's coming out on that next April. So, you know, maybe they get the addressable market starts to increase a little bit in 2020. Education, doctors and patients maybe stay on it a little bit longer because of the new prophylactic treatment. And then maybe this company um, can see its share price finally stop sliding. Yeah, but, you know, you can't forget there's also competition out there. Seattle Genetics has a drug to catnip, uh, potentially with fewer side effects, and they should have data by the end of this year as well. I mean, given the side effect issues uh, with this drug, um, with um, Puma Biotech's drug, even if Tucatnib isn't as effective, if they come in at a lower price point with fewer side effects, um, I do think they have a real shot at grabbing substantial market share here. So I think that will be a key area to watch. Um, they are expanding internationally. So I think we could continue to see some top line growth from international sales moving forward. Um, but yeah, I think the key here is, can they stop the discontinuation rate? You mentioned um, the education with physicians. The company did come out and blame and say, you know, we really didn't have the sales force uh, that we were hoping to have. And they've been steadily increasing the sales force to go out there and help with the education piece. But all in all, I mean, I think this is uh, one of those I would sit back and watch, especially heading late into the year with competition coming and to see what happens with these expanded label approvals. Yeah, and just throw a couple extra numbers at listeners. Their guidance for 2019 is for $230 million in revenue. I think their market cap is only about $325 million. Uh, obviously, that's a very low valuation for, a, for a, a company with $230 million in sales coming in. They are still losing money. These trials they're conducting are expensive. And perhaps that's one of the, another reason why people have failed to get excited. You know, you had a blockbuster indication. Unfortunately, sales of only about $230 million and still losses a couple years after uh, launch. Exactly. All right. So next up, we've got Clovis Oncology, and that's ticker symbol CLVS. Um, stock got up to $114 a share back in 2015. We actually did see some signs of recovery. It fell pretty steeply um, in 2016. But the stock is now down to $3 and about $0.19 a share as of this recording. Um, Clovis was another one of those companies that had blockbuster ambitions, Todd. And this was for its commercial drug, Rubraca for ovarian cancer. A lot of hype, not only for this drug, but also for the class of drugs known as PARP inhibitors, which I think also created just this intensely competitive space that Clovis has really struggled with um, overall. But before we talk about Clovis and Rubaca, Todd, can you just explain what exactly is a PARP inhibitor? Okay, so PARP is an enzyme that repairs damaged cancer cells. So the idea was, okay, if we can figure out a way to halt that repair activity, maybe we get better results. And sure enough, in clinical trials at Clovis and, as we'll talk about in a minute, other companies, um, it's been a, it's it is effective, and it's particularly effective um, in patients uh, who have ovarian cancer, for example. That's where the approval 
has was was first granted in use in later lines of ovarian cancer. They're not alone, though, in targeting PARP. They have to face off against AstraZeneca's Linparza. AstraZeneca was the first one to get FDA approval of one of these PARP inhibitors. And Tessero, um, which is now part of Glaxo, Glaxo Aquilum, also launched Zajula, which is another one of these PARP inhibitors. And Rubraca, as a result of you know the, all of the competitive dynamics and, and each company leapfrogging each other in, in the line of therapy, Clovis has kind of been like the, the odd man out in a way when it comes to this indication and, and this approach. Yeah, and I think for these PARP inhibitors, there's a couple of questions. One, can they be used earlier on in the treatment regimen process? And then also, can they be expanded to other types of cancers? So you're talking about pancreatic, breast, and even prostate cancer. Um, I think, though, for Clovis, it's not just the competition. It's also the financials, Todd. Um, when we look at just that first half of 2019, generated about $66 million in sales, but they racked up $245 million in total expenses in the first half, uh, an operating loss of $179 million. Um, at, the end of the, at the end of June, they had $316 million in cash and securities, and they did just do um, a raise in August. It was convertible debt in the range of $263 million. That's enough to at least get them through 2020, um, and they are hoping to actually have some lower cost associated with milestone payments and also supplies. But still, this is a company with a lot of question marks, um, and even not just here in the U.S., but also abroad. They got um, approval in Europe. That was earlier this year, so we've only seen about 300,000 in terms of sales there. But that's another big area, big question mark, just in terms of how quickly can they ramp up sales outside of the U.S.? Right. And I uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I apologize, listeners. I think they're going it alone right now in Europe. There are a lot of question marks for me. Why, you know, why is it that you know Glaxo was able to secure Tessero? Tessero was willing to sell to Glaxo. And you know, did anyone ever approach Clovis? I mean, obviously, a lot of investors were hopeful, had been hopeful, that you know maybe another company would come in, they'd swoop in, they buy Clovis, and then maybe they would start developing their, these combination therapies that include PARP and 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 others. And you know. Obviously, an acquirer with deeper pockets that could handle the expenses. And, you know, a lot of these companies, I mean, it's great that when you get approval, but when you're in a competitive space like this and you're fighting up against, you know, a deep, 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 lots of researchers, resources um, companies such as um, AstraZeneca, it's very, very hard to to make an argument with with doctors that, hey, yeah, our, our mousetrap is better than mouse, their mousetrap. Now, their sales are growing pretty rapidly. Um, you mentioned there's a cash burn situation at the company currently and that it could ease next year. That's positive. They do think that their sales this year are going to be somewhere around $140 million global revenue this year. And they do have the potential for these sales in Europe to start contributing more Say in 2020, market cap is pretty small, only 310 million. So people are definitely betting for a worst case scenario for this company because of obviously the cash burn and all these competitive challenges it's facing. The big question is going to be what can Clovis do to position itself to differentiate itself from these other competitors, in my view? Yeah, so right. And I think another really key area to watch 
is their hope to expand uh, Rebecca's label for uh, prostate cancer. This is really the high-value indication that could really help boost sales, particularly in 2020 and beyond. There are a couple of ongoing studies. They've got the Triton 3 study. That's a phase 3 study, Triton 2, um, for treatment for advanced prostate cancer with specific genetic mutations. Um, so far, so good. In terms of data, they've got an overall response rate of about 44%. We'll have to wait and see if that can at least hold um, in terms of durability or if not be better. But just in terms of putting some dollar figures behind it, um, Evaluate Pharma, industry research firm, thinks that Rebecca sales could actually rise if they get this prostate indication to $634 million by 2023. Um, that is... For me, at least, the key area I want to see Clovis actually get a check mark on. If they can't, then I've got way more questions than I do answers, and this one stays on the sideline for me. Yeah, and out of the gate, Shannon, the trial. Okay, so they're filing for uh, for um, an application. They plan to in the, in the fourth quarter for the prostate cancer indication. But out of the gate, it's only going to address about twelve percent of prostate cancer cases, maybe twenty thousand or so newly diagnosed per year uh, fall into that genetic makeup. So yes, expanding the market, um, potential maybe to, to expand it even further down the road. But geez, yeah, you have to wonder about that. And the other thing is that AstraZeneca, they're also researching their drug, Linparza, in prostate cancer. They put out positive phase three data earlier this year as well in prostate cancer. So you know, again, they're going to have to be able to duke it out in the marketplace. And I'm not, I'm not sure how the I'm not sure if they're going to be able to do it. Yeah, that's such a good takeaway lesson, uh, Todd. I just wanted to reiterate that it's not just can you make it across across the approval finish line when you're going into indications where you do have these deeper pocketed foes with large commercial teams that can go out and sell your drug. It makes it very hard for these smaller players to survive. So a lot to watch with this one. On the other side of the break, we've got one more beaten down biotech, one that I'm really excited about talking about, Todd, with you. Uh, But first, a quick word from our friends at Grammarly. Thanks to Grammarly for supporting Industry Focus. As an everyday user of Grammarly, I can attest that Grammarly is the communication tool that helps me improve my writing to be mistake-free, clear, and effective. Grammarly encourages everyone, and that's the best students and top professionals, to use Grammarly to do their best work and accomplish even more of their goals. Simply put, Grammarly is a writing assistant that makes you look and sound smarter. You can easily improve yourself, your communication skills, no matter if you're at school, work, or really anywhere. And ultimately, Grammarly allows people to put their best self forward through writing. Their free product reviews critical spelling and grammar, and their Grammarly premium product kicks it up a notch by looking out for spelling, grammar, plus advanced punctuation, structure, and even readability. Grammarly is available across platforms, including your online browser extension, desktop editor, or mobile keyboard check. It's also available on multiple browsers. That's Chrome, Firefox, Safari, and platforms. That's right. iOS, Android, Windows, Mac, you name it, Grammarly is there. With Grammarly, you can accomplish your goals. Whether you're aiming to stop making typos on your phone, close more deals at work with your emails, or... Looking to just simply polish your resume, Grammarly has you covered. 
And having held various roles here at The Fool, including editor and now director of programming, Grammarly has saved me massive amounts of time and angst. I can catch and correct nearly twice as many mistakes with Grammarly Premium. If you're interested, just go to Grammarly.com slash Fool to get 20% off your Grammarly Premium account today. That's Grammarly.com slash Fool for 20% off your Grammarly Premium account. All right, so we're back. Um, Last beaten down biotech is none other than a company we've talked uh, quite a bit about on the show um, and also just here at The Full, and that's gene therapy company Regenex Bio. That is ticker symbol R-G-N-X. Regenex Bio hit a high of $82.15 back in July of 2018. Now that stock is down to about $37 a share Todd, it's been a roller coaster ride this year, and particularly over the late spring, early summer months with Regenx Bio. Um, unfortunately, I think this is a company right now that's kind of paying the price for some misdeeds, misfortunes of another company it licensed its viral vector tech to. Um, and so, in many ways, this is kind of unfortunate for Regenx Bio, but this is also very much a platform company. Todd, what can you tell us about Regenx Bio? All right. For people who are new to the story, you know, they play in the gene therapy space and they've got what they think are best in class viral vectors. These viral vectors are used to deliver gene therapies to the target within the human. So if you're developing a gene therapy, you need to have attach it to a viral vector. They have a viral vector solution. So they have two ways that they're approaching their business model. They're licensing access to their viral vectors to others. Uh, and you hinted about a problem there or an issue there. Um, and then they're also developing their own gene therapies using their own viral vectors. The big story behind them that helped drive their share price so much so high was work that was being done by Avexis, which is now part of Novartis. Avexis is developing a gene therapy for an indication called spinal muscular atrophy, or SMA, and that's the largest cause of infant mortality. And Zolgensma uses that viral vector made by, it licenses from uh, Regenex to uh, deliver, um, uh, restore, I should say, restore the ability to produce the protein that's missing within these patients. Because it's such a big cause of infant mortality, this is was considered to be pretty much a landmark. I mean, the treatment, there is another treatment out there, Biogen and Ionis make it, it's called Spinraza. Um, but, you know, there's no real, say, one-and-done type fix. So there was a lot of excitement when Zolgensma data started coming out showing that it was really helping a lot of, a lot of patients. And sure enough, the FDA went ahead and gave this um, this this drug, Zolgensma, uh, approval. And that's great news for GenX because it meant that they get milestone pay- payments, but they also can collect royalties in up to the low double-digit uh, percentages. And because this is a multi-billion dollar indication, I think Spinraza's sales are tracking at about $2 billion per year. People were really excited because not only did it did it does it mean it creates a, a revenue stream that they can then leverage for their own clinical research, but it also helped to validate their platform, which of course has attracted more licensees to come in um, and maybe increases the likelihood that their internal program pans out. Exactly. But what we saw over the summer, uh, word got out that Novartis and their subsidiary of Vexus 
may have actually fudged some of the data that was submitted for approval. Needless to say, we saw the share price um, of not only Novartis, but also Regenex Bio tank on that news uh, related to data manipulation. Um, I think right now, I mean, there's still some some overhang related to the FDA's viewpoint on this drug. Um, and we've talked about it extensively on the show before, but um, I think it wasn't so much about... Um, Regenex Bio and their platform. It was more, much more about Novartis and Avexis and how they handled it and when they knew what they knew uh, before it was approved. So, yes, an overhang, but personally, Todd, I think the um, share price decline based off of this news for Regenex Bio was a bit overdone. Yeah, especially when you look at the efficacy that is being delivered by Silgenza. I think Novartis came out with some information uh, not that long ago, pretty recently. Ten patients measured so far in its sprint study, and none had delays in unsupported sitting. That is just remarkable, remarkable for this indication. Six could sit an average of 7.6 months, while three three could stand uh, without assistance at an average of 10.1 months. I mean, that's just Considering the fact that so many of these infants end up on uh, ventilators and pass away, uh, just downright remarkable. Now, this is a very high-priced uh, treatment. I think it's over $2 million. Um, so, the, the, you know, obviously that's got to be factored in, too. You know, how quickly will payers sign on to approve this? Is it a better um, solution to the system to do this a one-and-done type therapy rather than, say, something that has to be taken throughout the entire life, like Spinraza? Um, so there's a lot of question marks there, but yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like it's an overreaction because I mean, think about it. If let's say they can get um, 50% of the sales that Spinraz does, a billion, right? And let's say they're getting a low double-digit royalty. Well, only a hundred million dollars is at risk one way or the other. And the things that they've got cooking in their pipeline are a lot more, uh, I'd say, bigger dollar value things. So, for example, they're in their internal program. They're working on something for wet age-related macular de- degeneration, so wet AMD. That's, I forgot, two drugs on the market for that, Lucentis and Ilia, combined, I think they do over $8 billion a year in sales. And they're, right now, so far, interim data that we've seen from, from that trial for Regenex's um, uh, wet AMD treatment, uh, I think 50% of the patients have, have not required another injection for 18 months. I mean, that would be remarkable because these patients currently have to have regular eye injections. I mean, some as often as monthly. Exactly. And it's this one and done option that I think is just so attractive. As a matter of fact, um, I believe this Friday, we're actually set to get more data in regards to the ongoing trial. Specifically, Eugenex Bio is going to be presenting 18-month data for uh, multiple cohort, multiple cohorts Um I think it's cohort number three, four, and five. And if those trends that you mentioned continue and we get positive data coming out on Friday, I think this is probably a great time to buy this stock because we could see it actually pop quite high off of that news. Um, But again, I mean, this is a gene therapy um, and this is, of course, targeting blindness. So there's some risk inherent in all of that. But I do think given their platform given that they've already kind of proven themselves in getting a drug to market. Granted, that's a licensing play, but this could be really a big one to watch. 
Mm, yeah, and the anatomy of the eye makes it ideal for um, for gene therapies, and, and may 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 increase the likelihood of ongoing success. So we'll just see how that data ends up playing out. Uh, just so investors know, I think the market cap of that company is about one point four billion, and they do have about four hundred and fifty million sitting in in the cash coffer. Yeah, so plenty there. So Todd, I have to ask though, of the three stocks that we've talked about, all beaten down. All for various reasons, some warranted, some not. Uh, which would you say is your top pick if you had to choose one to buy right now? All right. Well, I'm going to talk my own book for a second. It's the only one I own, <laughs> which is Regen X Bio. Um, you know, granted, I own it at a price that's higher than it is right now, but I still like the opportunity here, and I think it's targeting targeting what is the future of medicine, which is gene therapy. And I think that if they can deliver out some really strong data in wet AMD, then a lot of this overhang disappears from Novartis as they move on and more and more patients get onto Zolgensma. I think people are going to get more and more excited about this company. Now, you know, obviously, this is going to be data dependent, right? You mentioned on Friday, we could get information on Friday that is shows that the wet AMD drug does not work at all, right? I mean, that's the risk of investing in biotech stocks. So none of these three stocks, in my view, is is suitable for, you know, someone who can't handle handle risk. I would say that Puma Biotech and Clovis, I suppose you could make an argument for someone who has like the, 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 the stomach of a fighter pilot to go out and maybe take a little bit just because, you know, the market caps are pretty low relative to, you know, the sales and they do have a couple catalysts that could, that could uh, help them send higher. But that's just, it's too risky for me. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Uh, Puma and Clovis, I do want to wait till the end of the year for both of these companies, but I'm very comfortable sitting on the sidelines. But for Regenex Bio, this is just a company that has way more optionality than the other two. Um, They've got a true viral vector platform that generates multiple licensing opportunities and, as you mentioned, Todd, multiple drugs that they can create on their own. Um, They've got patents, ownership of over 100 different vectors, some of which they believe work better than some of the competing vectors that are out there. Um, I think, if anything, I mean, now could be a really good time to buy uh, this particular company. I do think this is going to be a much longer play for Regenex Bio and one that I think as you mentioned, is truly transforming just how we treat people when it comes to genetic disease. Yeah, and I would, I just, I think that if there's a big takeaway across all three of the the companies, I think that the, the takeaway is this: biotech stocks tend to make incredible moves after phase two data. So if phase two data is good, these things stocks tend to go to the moon. You still see plus thirty percent failure rates in phase three. And as these three uh, biotechs remind us, tons of challenges, even once you get across that FDA finish line and get to commercialization. So I think that it's a really good reminder for investors to understand that, hey, just because you had success in mid-stage studies doesn't mean that you've got a home run stock that is guaranteed to go higher over some small specific period of time. Yes, very well said, Todd. Very well said. And of course, if you're investing in biotechs, you definitely need a stomach of steel. Uh, But for Todd and I, that'll do it for this week's Industry Focus Healthcare Show. We want to thank you so much for tuning in. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for 
or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For Todd Campbell, I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening and full on. Thank you.